You are listening to the Local Hearted Podcast, episode number 16, with figurative artist Skip Rohde, and I am putting a parental advisory on this episode. I advise parents and anyone with children in their care to pause the audio when the music starts and read the show notes at localhearted.com slash Skip before listening to this episode in the presence of children. And Skip spells his name S-K-I-P-R-O-H-D-E. Welcome to the Local Hearted Podcast. I'm Meredith Adler, and I am your host. Join me as we get to know the people who create the wide variety of art in Asheville and in the mountain counties of Western North Carolina. We'll also talk with some of the people who create opportunities for our local artists and help them shine. Hello again, this is Meredith, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Local Hearted Podcast. If you are a first-time listener, I am so happy you are here and that you found the show. I love how the artists of Western North Carolina and Asheville are sharing so much about their lives, their work, and their inspirations. And I really want to thank you, the listener, because I really appreciate the support my guests are receiving from the Local Hearted audience. A few examples that come to mind. New business relationships have been formed. One of the artists was asked to teach at a brand new venue. I am aware that at least one of the artists has sold a lot of art directly related to being on the show, and there have been requests for commissions. So thank you for not only listening, but also for supporting the show's guests. My guest this week is Skip Rohde a figurative artist who is constantly challenging himself with new ways of working. Not only does Skip paint with hired models as reference, but he has also created artwork from life in situations most of us artists will never experience, including in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as in North Carolina courtrooms. And did I mention he is constantly challenging himself? His latest venture, Asheville Event Paintings, is so new that Skip began that part of his business after we did the original interview. So you will hear our addendum conversation to give Skip a chance to explain his new thing. It takes a lot of experience to skillfully paint people who are not holding still for the artist. And you will hear in this interview how Skip's experiences leave him uniquely qualified to do the live event paintings. I decided to put the parental warning on this show because war is a major topic covered. Skip has a series of paintings he calls Meditation on War, and we talked during this show about his motivations and message behind these paintings. I know in this day and age, most children are already exposed to the reality of war, but in deference to parents who are trying to shield their children, I thought a heads up was called for. 
It is my tremendous pleasure to bring to you artist Skip Rohde. Skip, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you about your work. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And I like to start by having you describe your own work. Uh, I could do that, but I think it's more meaningful when it comes from you. And I know you do many things, so. Yeah, that's a tough thing to answer. It's primarily figurative. Uh, I do people. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of it has to do with stories. Who are these people? What are they doing? What, are, what has their life been like? Uh, I try to capture their personalities. Uh, I try to tell stories. Some of the artworks that I've done over the past many years have been about experiences that people have had and whether good or bad. And then uh, more lately, I've just been doing figurative work with less of a story, less of a narrative involved, more about uh, uh, getting a good image on paper or, on, or in paint uh, and trying to capture the individual's personality in these artworks. Um, when I'm doing this, I'm looking at the person, and, and part of it is almost clinical. I'm, I'm looking at, okay, what's the shape? What's the form? What are the colors? Uh, light, dark? Um, you know, is the nose placed right? Uh, that sort of thing. And another part of me backs out of that entirely and looks at the person and says, well, who is this? Um, what has their life been like? Who is this? What is my impression of this person who is in front of me? And capture that uh, in the in the image. And it's uh, very difficult, but that's what floats my boat. So there we go. You're even when you're doing your figurative, you're wanting it to be more than a regular likeness. Is that yes. what you're saying? Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's lots of great artists around here who, and across the country who can get a good likeness. Um, and the, the hard thing is to, harder thing is to get something of that individual in there. You know, you, you can get a good likeness from a camera, but you have to have something in there that says more than just you know, here's what the person looks like. And you can see that in your own snapshots. You know, you will you can go off to one of these uh, photography studios and they'll take a great photograph of, of you in a control setting and you may get home and say, well, I don't know who that is, but you know, that's mm -hmm. a great, great photo, but uh, that's, that's not Johnny or whatever. And then uh, uh, you take a photograph with your, with your phone and it just screams Johnny at you. You know, it, it, it's two different things. It's um, something catches it, something doesn't. And I try to capture that in my artworks. Can you give some examples? Because that's really interesting to me. Some examples of some of the things you might have seen that you try to put on your canvas or on your paper that are about personality. You talking about in my work or in some other artist's work? In your own work. Okay, um, let's see. There's a picture I'm looking at right now over here. Uh, it's on my floor. I have a whole row of paintings that I've done in my Wednesday night group. Um, and this is a picture of a guy named James. And he has very, let's say, old Roman features. 
um, kind of a sharp uh, face, uh, curly uh, brown, dark brown hair. Uh, he's got a beard, and I think in that one I really captured something of his personality. It's um, uh, he's a quiet guy, but he's got uh, a very he, he's quiet. He's uh, collected, I should say, maybe. Um, he knows who he is and what he's doing and so forth. And I think that comes across mm-hmm. in the painting. That's what I was, that's the kind of thing that I was trying to get. Uh, of course, some are less successful. There's others I'm looking at down that row uh, that are fairly decent uh, figure studies or, or so forth and, uh, or even portrait studies and capture less of the individual's personality and that's just you know you give it a shot and give it your best shot and sometimes you get it sometimes you don't do you think the viewer can tell the difference or do you think it's just the artist that can tell the difference i don't know i think (laughs) (laughs) i can that's a good question i can tell when i miss but Somebody else is going to come to this painting with a whole different background from a whole different perspective, and they may see something entirely different. In fact, uh, you could look at that painting of uh, James that we're, I was just talking about, and you're going to come away with it with a different impression than mine, more than likely. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably I, very true. I'd be bringing my experience. Yes, absolutely. And I never really appreciated that until I was in a class many years ago, and uh, we had a homework assignment. We had to paint a still life. And so I wound up painting a, uh, a painting of my Navy hat, and my old teddy bear from when I was a kid. So this is an old teddy bear we're talking about, mm-hmm. and it beat up. And so I just slammed them together because one was, the hat was black and white and gold and very sharp, and then here's this teddy bear that was soft and brown. And so it was difference in textures, and so I put them together, do a painting, okay. And I just thought of it as a... Uh, as, as a still life and then we got in the class and we were doing the critiques and people were saying oh my gosh this this is the uh, soldier's gone off to war and he's not going to come back and here's the kid who's going to grow up without a father and I'm thinking it's just a still life <laughs> <laughs> two objects <laughs> but uh, one it was I, I understood from that critique that there was probably more to my selection of those two objects than I thought. It, it wasn't just a random thing like I had thought. And the other was that you cannot control what people bring to look at your work. And so now when I'm giving a talk about my artworks, uh, I will ask people, before I tell them what I was putting into I will ask them, what do you see in this? Because I just love hearing what people are seeing it because they bring all kinds of new stuff to the table. And it's really cool to hear lots of different impressions. And it's like, I never thought of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it broadens my experience, too. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, to get that feedback as the artist. And I guess you would have to ask for it first before you yes. did your talk. Yes, people want to know, well, what is the right way to interpret this 
painting. It's like, <laughs> it's the right way for you. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's just, it, art is very personal and it hits you or, or it doesn't. You know, I've got paintings around here that uh, will jump out and, you know, I've, I've seen people actually recoil from them because of the way it impacted them. And, uh, and other people walk up and just leave them stone cold. So that's, you know, every, like I said, everybody comes to it with a different perspective. So I like hearing what the perspectives are. And the only way you're going to get that is if you ask first rather mm -hmm. than giving them the answer. Right. Definitely. But there is no right answer. You know, they, they want to think there is a right answer. No, there isn't. It's the answer that's right for you. They're all valid. Yes. Especially, I guess, as the artist, once you put it out there, it's mm -hmm. whatever the interpretation is going to be. You have yours and they have theirs mm -hmm. and all valid. Mm -hmm. So this might be a good time. Why don't we talk about how you have come to be in a position to give talks about your art? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm presuming you are talking about my background. Uh, I'm... Uh, I'm retired Navy, and I went back to school and got a uh, Bachelor's of Fine Art from UNC Asheville, and then I became a, uh, I wouldn't say full-time artist, because full, being a full-time artist certainly doesn't pay the bills, but I uh, became a professional-grade artist, and then uh, at a couple of points, one... Uh, I started doing a series about the of, of paintings about the effects of war, and so that series is called Meditation on War, and that exhibit has been shown uh, in a number of places now, uh, colleges, um, museums, uh, whether it's just one painting or the whole series, it's been shown in a number of places. So that has led to some discussions about who I am, why these paintings came to be, and so forth. Um, and later, I started that series in about 2005, and I'm still adding to it now. In 2008, I went off to Iraq with the State Department and then the Corps of Engineers to work on reconstruction projects around the country. And while I was there, I was doing drawing, and actually while I was in Iraq, I was doing painting as well. And so that added to this collection of paintings about war. Uh, none of it is about the actual combat because I've never been in combat, don't want to be in combat, but I've certainly seen the results of the combat. And so that's what this series has been about, uh, about the long-term effects, what it does to people, what it does to places, um, what it does to your psyche, that whole thing. Then in 2011, having not had enough of deployments to uh, uh, hellish places, I deployed to Afghanistan, again with the State Department. Uh, and this time I was a governance advisor in Kandahar province. I've never been a governance advisor before, never studied uh, government beyond what they required in, in college. Um, so, of course, I was perfectly qualified to be a governance advisor. So um, I wound up in a small, uh, very rural district working with the local Afghans to try to 
develop their capabilities to run their own governmental affairs, to develop their economy, move it beyond growing poppy and marijuana and smuggling guns and people and everything else into doing things that actually do good for the country. Um, So this job required me to meet with the Afghans very frequently, like on an almost daily basis. And in many of these meetings, they were Afghan meetings, and I was there as an observer. So uh, I was not there to talk. If if I had to talk, then something had gone seriously wrong. Um, So I would be sitting over to the side um, taking notes on who said what, what was being said, how it was developing, and that sort of thing. And I, I almost always had my sketch pad with me, and I would sit there and sketch the participants because Afghans have the most amazing faces. I mean, they are just unbelievable. They are, there's so much character in them. They've lived hard lives, um, and they're very proud people. Um, they've had a lot of They've been at war for 30 years, so that kind of wears on you. Um, So I just loved drawing them. And so then once I came back from that year in Kandahar, I framed up a whole bunch of those, put them together into uh, a traveling show, and that show has now been uh, in a number of universities and colleges around western North Carolina, Ohio, some other states. Um, And so when it would go somewhere, I would give a talk about how those drawings came to be and what the story was behind some of them, you know, rather than... And each each one of the images, each one of the individuals had a story. So it wasn't just, you know, look, here's an Afghan. It was, well, this guy is... um, he, He runs a store in the bazaar here. And he came to this meeting because we were going to talk about putting solar panels in the bazaar so that merchants could uh, have power to run lights and therefore stay open later and and do more stuff. So it was an economic development issue. And he had this fantastic face. And so that's who this guy was and so forth. And that's what I would do with a lot of these different... Um, Individuals give a little story about who they were and what they were like and what their concerns were and why they were there and what drew me to them. And then putting all that into another, uh, a deeper discussion about what's going on there, uh, what the economy is like, the politics are like, why it's so much more complex than any soundbite that any one of our politicians will will tell you. So that's where that's what made that those discussions pretty interesting. So Thank you. So you were in a position to it sounds like uh by telling their stories and I don't want to put words in your mouth if this wasn't your motive, but it sounds like partly humanizing them for us. Yeah, it I think that gets back to what I was talking about earlier. It's who are these people as humans? Because mm-hmm. they're humans. We had government, corrupt government officials. We had good government officials. We had uh, locals who were doing anything they could to get uh, to get money, including ripping off much of the 
budget of the projects that we were trying to run there. But you know, we we expected that. We knew it was going to happen, and um, so we were watching for it. Uh, other guys were growing poppy, and so it was like, well, why are they growing poppy? You know, or why are they growing marijuana? Or why are they doing what they're doing? Um, you know, and uh, in one village, we had a guy who just looked like your illiterate farmer, and he may have been illiterate, but he could negotiate with anybody. Any he, he could take on John Kerry or Donald Trump and come out of, with a better deal from <laughs> from them than just about anybody in the country. I mean, he was a solid negotiator. And just this little Afghan guy mm -hmm. from a little village of about uh, uh, 50 houses. So, you know, it can be quite amazing to see some of these people in action. There's much more depth to them than, than you would think from just watching our news. Mm -hmm. Sure. Thank you. So the exhibit you're talking about, that is the one you call Faces of Afghanistan? Yes, it is. On your website? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's on my website and on my studio Facebook page. There's many more of them on my studio Facebook page. Okay. And I've seen this exhibit in person uh, probably more than once, right? Uh, you had more than some once, of them. really. Wow. You had some of them at UNCA? Is UNCA, that correct? UNCA, Marshall University. Are, yeah. So Western I was Carolina. at both of those. Uh -huh. Yes. So I have a question as okay. an artist. Okay. From an art perspective, you were in these meetings. Mm hmm and you were taking notes and you were sketching at the same time, like live in mm -hmm. person. Right. Some of the work I saw was like oils and some was pastels, oh. right? What were you doing? No, in the no oils. Um, they were pa there were pastels in there and those were not done from life. Okay. They were done from uh, photographs later on back in my room. Okay. Uh, because, yeah, you can't take pastels around. When I was doing the drawings, I was trying to stay low-key so that, you know, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Um, you know how it is when you point a camera at somebody and they stiffen up, mm -hmm. and I wanted to draw them as they really were, so uh, so I kept it low-key. But the um, uh, pastels, like I said, you, you can't do that and keep it low-key, so I would do that back in the room. Okay. I always wanted to ask you that. Okay. I'm well, glad there I you did. go. <laughs> okay. So the pastels were done from reference. Yes. Not from life. Yes. But they're fabulous. Thank I you. I mean, uh, being an artist, being at your exhibit, I'm one of those people who would get really close up and really back up and Good. really close up and back up. And some of the colors that you used, like in the shadows, I was mm -hmm. like, wow, look at that red, you know, mm -hmm. but it made a shadow and I was just so impressed with those. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So what what kind of questions have you received when you've done those exhibits besides um, your medium? Uh, one of the big ones was that there's only one image of a female in that whole collection. And it's this young girl who's about uh, 11 years old. And the reason for that is that uh, rural Afghanistan is extremely conservative. And so women are um, not to be, they are not out in public, uh, or if they are, they're covered, they're in the burqas, and the polite thing is to pretend they're not there. Mm -hmm. 
And if you stop and want to talk with them, especially as a foreigner and you want to talk with them and, or take photographs of them or uh, that sort of thing, that you're crossing boundaries there. Um, uh, girls, young girls before puberty are different because they're kids. So uh, they're out running around playing and stuff like that. Uh, with the boys and, um, you know, they're just being kids. So, uh, but they get to that age about, uh, 12 and then, and then it changed and they go behind the burqa and that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, since they were never in any of the meetings that I was in, um, I never had the opportunity to draw them. Um, but, uh, in larger cities like Kandahar, um, or, uh, Kabul or so forth, uh, it's a different matter. Uh, they have women in official positions and they will run around almost in Western gear, uh, in Western garb without the, um, uh, without the burqa. And that would be considered normal, although the Taliban sure doesn't like that. Mm. Okay. So people ask you why only one female? That would that be is one. the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do people ask you, did your subjects know you were drawing them, and how did they react? Um, let's see. The subjects never knew that I was drawing them while I was drawing them. Uh, they um, sometimes found out about it afterwards. Sometimes I would give them the drawing. Mm -hmm. um, and... Like my district governor uh, would—he knew that I was uh, that I was often drawing people, and so he would spot it any time I would be sitting over to the side drawing somebody. He'd want to see the image. Um, nobody ever had a problem with it. Uh, everybody that saw the drawings got a big kick out of them. Um, one of the very last drawings that I did was in a meeting where we had several people from an area that was controlled by the Taliban who came up to this, this uh, district-wide meeting. And I was sketching one of them. And he, um, uh, well, the district governor saw me sketching him. And then somebody, another guy who lived down in that area, uh, who was actually a Taliban facilitator, uh, saw me sketching him and he came over and grabbed me, he wanted to see the picture and I showed him the picture. And so he got this big kick out of it and he runs over and grabs the guy that I was drawing and pulls him over and, show, and showed him the drawing and he got a big kick out of it too. So, uh, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I, so drawings are, uh, let's see. More interest, they, they were very interesting to them because I don't think anybody around there besides me was doing that. So uh, this was something new and different for them. Um, photographs, they, they, they often didn't like to have photographs because they, oh, Americans are photographing us. It's going to go in a database somewhere and, you know, they're, then they're going to know who we are and, you know, yada, 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 the whole mm -hmm. thing. But um, uh, drawings were a different matter. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they got, a, they got a big kick out of it. So you were well received there. Yes, uh, yes, I was. That's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where are they now? Okay, uh, now uh, they are in the Smithsonian Museum of American History in Washington D.C. Um, 
the Smithsonian has a collection of artwork that goes way back, um, you know, a couple hundred years of artwork that is related to, well, different subject matter. And this particular collection is artwork that's related to military activities. And they are right now building their collection of post 9-11 art. And so I was asked, um, asked uh, about whether I could uh, donate some artworks to that. And so I worked with them and I wound up, they, they wound up taking the whole collection of the faces of Afghanistan. So that's where they are now in a drawer in a storeroom in the Smithsonian Museum in downtown Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> and how is that for you? I, I, I'm, I'm so stoked. I'm so excited <laughs> about that. Um, that's a good place for them. Uh, I did not want to sell them off individually. That just seemed wrong. You know, I, I did that. I, I sold one or two, and then I was like, this just isn't right, you know? So I thought, this collection has to stay together, but, you know, where's it going to go? Besides the shelf here in my studio. And... Um, so I had, after exhibiting it for a while, we're to the point now where I run into problems getting any interest. You know, nobody wanted to talk, to show anything about Afghanistan because we're tired of that subject, right? You know, it's, um, who cares about Afghanistan anymore? So, um, nobody wanted to show it. So they were just sitting up there on the shelf here in my studio. And then this came along as like, Boy, that's the perfect place for him. You know, mm -hmm. you, you get, they've actually got 40, they got 49 matted drawings, plus I gave them an envelope of all the rest I had. So uh, there's a whole bunch of other drawings in there too. I have no idea how many were in that envelope, but it's like, keep it together. Here you go. <laughs> so that's where they are. So now they remain a collection and they go down in history. Yes. Mm hmm. Yep. And I know they'll be taken care of. And so it was such a thrill to actually turn it over. And I and they took me into the storage room and they were showing me the collection. You know, this wall that's nothing but flat files and, you know, 10 feet high flat files. Here's this, here's a bunch of drawers over here that are World War One art, you know, mm. a bunch of drawers over here, World War Two and, and, and so forth. And so I got to... Uh, uh, see some of the other art that uh, that my work will be included with, and I, I was just so honored to be in that entire collection. With it. some of that work, will just knock your socks off. It is so good, mm -hmm. and it's like, wow, my work's in here too. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Leo Monahan was a documentary artist for the military in mm -hmm. Vietnam. He talked about that mm -hmm. on his episode, and. He said the painting he did eventually was stolen. Like, don't really? Know, don't know where that is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, oh, that's awful. Well, that also says if you listen to him, <laughs> he kind of sounded like he liked it. Like it's with somebody who's really appreciating it somewhere. Well, that's, that's how true. He felt about it. Well, that's true. So, yeah, but I can imagine, you know, mm -hmm. your reaction being an artist and thinking about an important piece being stolen. But mm -hmm. that's what he said. Yeah. I don't know if I'll keep that part of the show, okay. but I just wanted to tell you that, you know, you have that in common with him. And he talked in his episode about um, 
being shot at, you know. I think maybe even the first night out, seriously being shot at. Well, fortunately for me, I have never been shot at that I know of. So yes. uh, I, I can't really speak to that. So I won't in my artwork, you know. I, my artwork uh, shows things that I experience or mm-hmm. I've seen. Right. I can't talk about things that I have not experienced. Although I've, I've well, I'm thinking about one right now that um, that uh, is about a friend of mine who was a Vietnam vet, and he experienced some things over there as a Marine, sixty six, sixty seven, that were just unbelievably horrible, and I. Um, tried to capture um, some of his story in a painting and thinking about it now what I really told was what I saw in him now you know I can't tell his experiences in Vietnam because I wasn't there Um, but uh, I can talk about what I see in him now and so that's what I painted the impact is that yes how here it is you know what 40 years later 50 years later and and he's still um, not sleeping at night and having dreams you know about going up the hill and it's just and I, I'm uh, and some of the experiences that he had during that combat period was they would give anybody nightmares and so he still got them Mm-hmm. So that's what I was trying to show in that particular painting, mm-hmm. and that one I that was also on my website, and it's called Saddle Up. If you uh, if you're looking at it, uh, Saddle Up comes from the term that when they would move out, uh, their their sergeants would come through, Saddle Up, ladies, hmm. <laughs> off they'd go. So that was that's the title of the painting. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing about that one mm-hmm. and pointing out which one it is mm-hmm. so we can see how you captured that. I want to mention one of your other paintings. I have talked to you about this before, but I first saw your exhibit, I think it was the Meditations on War one at okay. the Madison County Arts Council before I ever met you. Mm-hmm. And there was a painting in there that really struck me. The one of the library, and mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk about that painting, what you were doing with that one. Sure. Uh, that painting is called The Library Sarajevo. Uh, it was the library that was in Sarajevo. I was there in 1996 as part of the peacekeeping operations, and I was on the staff that was stationed in Sarajevo, and so I got to see that. And where that, uh, uh, the, the viewpoint from that painting is the viewpoint that I had when I took those pictures. Um, this was a beautiful old building that was filled with irreplaceable work, um, going back hundreds, maybe a thousand years. Um, and it, the, um, if you recall from the uh, from history, the the Bosniaks were in the city of Sarajevo, and the Serbs had surrounded the city and were uh, firing into it, artillery and so forth. 
the Serbs got word that the Bosniaks were using the basement of the library as uh, as an operational center for their militias, and so they shelled the library and burned it all up. Mm-hmm. And so when when we were there, I walked in there, and it was just this. It was a mess. I mean, I'm walking around there thinking, this building could come down on me at any moment. You know, this is really dumb to be walking around in this building like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I couldn't help myself. And so when I started this series about meditation on war, that was one that I had to do. And so I tried to capture it at that particular time. And so that's, um, uh, that's the image that you're talking about. I have found out that uh, since I finished that painting, um, the Bosnians have uh, restored that building, and it is open, and it's looking like it was never damaged. Restored it to what it had been. Yes, it's a beautiful building. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the the stuff, uh, the books and papers and stuff that was inside it. Mm -hmm. Um, I did hear later that uh, they got a lot of that out or some of the really important pieces, but beyond that, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. I remember what struck me about that painting was it was basically you painted the rubble of the mm-hmm. library. Yes. With the light streaming into it through yes. the rubble. Yeah. And it was beautiful, but it was rubble, but it was beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, this is a great painter. He can make this rubble look beautiful. You know, that's what struck me about it. That's one of the strange things about being in a combat zone is that you have incredible beauty and in all this destruction. Yeah. You know, uh, going around Bosnia at the time, it was springtime, um, April, May, and the dogwoods were in bloom and all the, you know, you so you have this, all this color out there. And it's just fantastic. It's beautiful, but you can't leave the pavement because you don't know where the mines are, mm. you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just really, you know, just really sad to see that sort of thing, you know. So yeah, that's one of the things that I have tried to capture in my paintings, and I'm still thinking about um, how I can do that. Um, and other paintings. There's one I'm looking at right over here on my wall right now. It's called Returning to Base, and it's a picture of a mountain. And that one was based on my time in Kandahar province. And this is actually based on the mountain that was just to the north of my small base. So during the day, it wasn't much to look at, this kind of eh mountain. But Late in the afternoon, you get the red light from the uh, sunset, and it would hit that mountain, and it would just glow this beautiful red. And literally, things would stop on the base, and people would just sit there and stare at the mountain many times. Mm. And so that's what I was trying to capture in that image. And then I have, um, across the bottom, it's a convoy of uh, military vehicles tootling along a uh, one of the dirt roads there. They're all dirt and returning to base, end of the day. So that was an, another example of, of beauty in the middle of a war zone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's there. It's surprising oh. sometimes. Yeah. 
And, you know, we say a lot of times that artists show us what we're seeing, but they're showing us from their own perspective. And you're showing us things many of us would never be able to see. (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh, That's... I I kind of feel a responsibility to to do that sometimes. You know, when I get an image in my head, uh, I don't sit around here and think, oh, you know, I need to paint things that that people... uh, need to see but you know there are experiences that I've had that I think uh, should be shared and that you know that was one of them uh, the library was one um, and you know there's others in that series um, that um, some of these are like okay the next time we talk about going to war and you know you start hearing people beating the drums saying yeah let's go off and and kick some butt over there. It's like, well, you know, you're simplifying it uh, so much because they're always much, much, much more complicated than the than they want us to believe. And then once you do that, you're go- people are going to die. People are going to get broken. Um, places are going to get destroyed. Uh, it's just nothing but destruction. And is that really worth it? And that's what I was trying to say in a lot of these works was, mm-hmm. you know, next time you go to, you talk, they talk about going to war. Think about it. This is, this is what's going to happen. This is the cost. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a hard topic to make a transition from, but I have other things that I do want to ask you. Good. About. Let's go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I read in your bio that you were a courtroom artist, and I would love, I've never met anybody who did that before. I'd love (laughs) to hear about that. Um, I was asked by WLOS a number of years ago if I could uh, do courtroom art, and I said, sure, I can do that. I'd never done it before. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I figured out what was going to be needed pretty quickly, and it was a lot of fun. Um, the trial that I was covering was Sheriff Bobby Medford. Um, he had, uh, shall we say, some indiscretions in the way he ran his office and uh, what he did with the proceeds. And so he was on trial for that. And so I would go and cover it because it was a federal courthouse. There were no cameras allowed inside. Um, Some state or local uh, courts uh, won't allow them either. Sometimes it's the judge's discretion, but in federal courthouses, no, no cameras. So uh, I would go and I would get set up early and try to get um, somewhere near the front over to one side where I could get a view of the defendant and... um, and the prosecutor and the judge. Uh, and then when they were in there, and sometimes there's like very little time uh, to do this, um, they would come in and I would do um, the drawing of them. And the way I was doing it was with, uh, I, I would do the drawing in pencil. Um, and then I would, uh, I would just do a whole bunch of um, drawings of, of the individual um, you know, several 
and, you know, if they're up on the stand or if they were at a table or whatever, um, same with the judge, you know, get two or three of the judge. So you have them looking different ways. And then, um, uh, before, uh, about 11 o'clock, uh, before the, um, noon news, I'd have to run out to the, uh, to the van and didn't matter what was going on in the course. Like I had to go <laughs> and, uh, go out to the van and I would hit him with watercolor and that's where the, the color would come in and, um, coordinate with the reporter and the cameraman and the cameraman would, um, set it up, you know, often just tape the drawing to the side of the van and, you know, zoom in on it. And it's amazing how many shots you can get out of one drawing. Mm. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, they would put it together into their noon report and back into the courtroom to, um, to do drawings of that afternoon's proceedings. So yeah, it was fun. Um, when it was procedural issues, um, one of the judges let me sit in the jury box. You know, there's no jury in there. So, um, uh, he let me sit in the jury box where I could get a much better view. And that was fantastic. And then of course, when, once the jury's in there, you can't draw the, uh, can't draw the, the jury. Um, so it's really interesting being in a courtroom when you're not a part of the proceedings. You know, if you're a part of it, you done screwed up, bud. But uh, <laughs> but as an observer, it, it's really interesting. So, yeah, it was fun. I, so I did that with Bobby Medford, and I did that on... There was another trial uh, a couple of years later where... Uh, let me see if I can remember this right. The state of North Carolina was suing TVA over... Uh, emissions and pollution from the coal-fired power plants. So I was in there for a few days on that particular trial. Okay. How did WLOS find you? How did that come about? Do you remember? Uh, I'm not really... Somebody had from UNCA had recommended me, I believe. They had... Um, but I'm not sure about that. They had... Uh, ag- apparently called up asking, Hey, you know of anybody that might be able to you know, do this. And somehow or another, my name came up. They had used somebody else once before and that individual was no longer available. Mm -hmm. And so they were looking for somebody new and somebody knew you. (laughs) So my name came up and so I got it. And it was, like I said, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Is this before the faces of Afghanistan? Long before. Yes. This is probably, um, Oh five, Oh six. Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. Okay. So it gave you experience back then that could have prepared you for the faces. It's the same kind there. of drawing. Drawing somebody from, <laughs> excuse me, drawing uh, portraits from life real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my s- style of drawing lended itself real well to courtroom art. Mm-hmm. Um, I've since studied some courtroom art and watched how different artists do it. Um, and if I ever get the chance to do it again, I'll probably take a different approach, but you know, Hey, it's growth. It's learning, you know? Um, yeah. And you have the background. So portraits from life of people who are not posing. That is the, yes, that's the deal right there. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, and some of them would rather I not be drawing. <laughs> yeah, and we'd rather not be there in your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad we're talking about models, though, because it's okay. bringing me back to a question from something you said okay. in the beginning of this. When you are capturing the essence, the more than the likeness, as you do, do you need to know the model personally, or... How- is that something you're able to pick up so quickly? No, don't I don't need, need to, to know, know them, them personally. No. Um, because what I draw is, and what I paint, is my impression of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like in the courtroom stuff, you know, I never saw those people before. Um, and I just try to capture what I see and... Um, you know, like with uh, Bobby Medford, uh, I saw him outside the courtroom. I saw him at it uh, at the defense table. I saw him up on the witness stand, and so I saw him in several different um, locations. And so I could, I formed my, I can't say an opinion. I, I formed impressions of him, and that would inform the way that I draw. And I, I don't know that I can really explain that, except that there's an awareness of who that individual is as a person, and that affects the way I draw. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was the same way when I was in Afghanistan and, and drawing the Afghans. Many of the people I was drawing, I never saw before that and never saw again afterward. But I saw something the way they would carry themselves, the way they would speak, um, that comes across in the drawings. Mm -hmm. I think it does anyway. And with your models in your studio, perhaps you're observing as they enter the studio, like you might be observing more than just the model on the stand. Yeah. Again, it's, it's who is this individual, Mm -hmm. you know, male, female, either one. Um, it's, uh, trying to, get something of their personality. Um, on the wall behind you, um, there's a whole bunch of uh, pastel drawings, charcoal and pastel drawings. And these are on my website. Uh, I think it's under the new series, something like that. Uh, and it's also on my, it's on my website. It's on my Facebook page. And in all of these, I was trying to capture something of who they were. So uh, there's Amy with the very dark hair, and she has a very different personality than Jennifer, who is in the uh, black outfit uh, with long hair. Um, There's a guy named Chris who's leaning back on his arms, who has a very quiet uh, personality, uh, and then there's Troy, who he's got that long ponytail, um, and most of those drawings he has no shirt on. Um, but let's just say Troy's very dramatic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that would be pretty accurate, I think, and it comes across in the in the drawings as well. So yeah, um, it's. 
again, uh, trying to capture something of, uh, of the person. Are they choosing their own poses? Yes. Uh, in each one of these, um, they, I, I, I generally let the models um, choose their poses because that's, they're going to choose something that's comfortable, that feels natural for them. And any time that I have tried to position the model, you know, saying, okay, I want you to sit this way, turn your shoulders, turn your head that way, you know, tilt it a little more, whatever. When I get to that, forget it. It's uh, going to look posed every single time. Mm -hmm. And if I let them choose their pose, it's more comfortable for them, so they're going to hold it longer. There's a practical aspect. Uh, but it's also going to show something of their individuality. Mm-hmm. You and know, that fits and, with your yeah. mission. And even if you take, uh, uh, if two models take very similar poses, they're still going to have it. Uh, their their body is going to look different in, uh, you know, adjusting for their own peculiar mm-hmm. characteristics. So, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it, it again, it allows who they are to, shine through a bit mm-hmm. yeah. and none of this is ever you know with uh you know one image you're not going to capture everything about an individual you're only going to capture a tiny bit but it's some little bit of insight mm-hmm. well thank you thank you for giving us a closer look at those and telling us what you were doing i wanted to talk about your blog for a minute because okay. when i prepare for these interviews i try to look at the site of the artist, everything that's on there, everything that's on their blog. And with yours, that's impossible for me (laughs) because (laughs) you have a very extensive blog and I did set myself the goal, I'm going to read this blog. And Uh, (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Wow. And so you write a lot in each post and you've been doing it for years. So I think I started in 2006. Yeah. I'm really curious what the role of writing is for you. Uh, I don't know that I can answer that. I don't know. Um, it's, uh, I think I started it as a marketing tool, but it is a way that I can talk about my work and I learned something from my own blog, you know, so I can be writing something down and I'll just, the words will just start flowing and it's like, Oh wow, really? Where did that idea come from? You know, it's, it's a surprise. So yeah, it goes back quite a ways and it's, um, fun sometimes to go back and reread some of the old stuff to see if my ideas change or not. Um, and, uh, you know, remember uh, things that I had written uh, or events that, or artworks or artists that I had written about. And it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So mm-hmm. that's always cool. It looked to me like you really are documenting your journey, your thought process as you are trying new things, mm-hmm. things you're trying to learn. Yes. You're, you're really showing us really an inside view of all of that, it seems. I mean, maybe there's things you leave out, but... Oh, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get in there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, 
Yeah. Um, I have written about a whole bunch of stuff on there before. Um, when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, there was a lot of, you know, a, I, w- I would post every three or four days um, with uh, some stories about whatever was going on. For a while, I was posting about politics, but nobody wants to read about politics, and especially now it's so toxic um, that I have really tried to stay away from uh, from politics and just focus on the art aspect. And there's some life stuff in there too, mm-hmm. you know, that because it's all intertwined. So the art informs the life, informs the art. Mm-hmm. So okay, thank you. And why don't we cover what your website is and where we are sitting and the offerings you have for other artists? Let's see. The website, um, www.skiprody.com. It's a real original uh, title there. Uh, I use my name, Skip Rody, and it's S-K-I-P-R-O-H-D-E.com. I have a facebook page as well for the studio it's uh it's studio dot of dot skip dot roadie and uh that has a lot more images on it than my website does um and what else were we going to talk about your wednesdays wednesday nights okay i have on wednesday nights an open life painting session so we have a model come in and we paint from the model for two hours, 7 and 9 p.m. Wednesday nights. And that is uh, open to anybody that wants to come paint. It's We typically start with some very short poses, like six or eight one-minute poses, uh, to kind of loosen up and also to see what kind of a pose is going to work for the model uh, and for us. And then uh, we'll kind of pick one and uh, and then go. And then it's one pose for the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. And people can find out about that through your website? Website and studio Facebook page, both. Okay. Um, I'm going to have a workshop on painting the figure. We're actually going to have the model in here. Mm-hmm. So it's um, uh, a chance to delve a little more deeply into the figure. Mm-hmm. Um and you'll be instructing, is yes, that correct? Yes, this is, this is instructional. This is not uh, uh, not an open session. Uh-huh. And you can sign up for it on my website uh, or contact me. Um, the figure painting workshops seem to be getting a good response around here, so I will do them again. Um, okay, and since it is ongoing, when I link to it, I will make sure I link to whatever page you keep updated. So people will always know. If okay. there's, you know, people will find this interview later, so yeah. people will be able to know when the next one is. I'll always have the uh, latest news on the on upcoming workshops on my uh, on my website. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Okay, and before we sign off, did you want to say anything about your landscape work? Because I know you did a demo of your yeah. landscape work. Landscape is a different thing. Uh, for me, I'm not primarily a landscape painter, um, and that is because I don't know uh, figures um, uh, is, is where I naturally go. But for many years, I stayed away from landscapes 
because I wasn't any good at them. And because I uh, wasn't any good at, at them, I stayed away from them. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a funny how self, that happens. Yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. So then I started uh, trying to study landscapes a bit more and understand them and, uh, and it, they're much harder than, um, than I had thought to do them properly. And, but you learn a lot about, uh, seeing and selecting and, uh, and painting and composition when you have, you know, you, when you plunk your easel down and, uh, look out over a field or the river or whatever, and, you know, you have to make some decisions, bang, 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 and, and go with it. And you don't have much time. And, uh, it's fun. It's challenging. Uh, I wipe out a lot of those, uh, mm. and they will never see the light of day. Um, <laughs> and a few of them actually turn out okay. So, um, it's, and with that, uh, with those images, again, I, I'm, I kind of approach them now in somewhat the same way I approach my figures. It's like, what is this place? What, what in this place speaks to me? And then it's a matter of, uh, trying, not trying to be a camera, but to find the thing that really is saying something in that and then, um, build the rest mm-hmm. of the painting around that to support it. So you have a small area of focus and a larger area that is providing supporting information. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the same thing that happens in a, in a decent figurative artwork too. Small area of focus, larger area of, uh, uh, of supporting detail. And that's something I'm trying to do with this pastel, uh, charcoal and pastel series. Um, where there's generally a small area of a focus and then a larger area unfinished that, uh, or what people would call unfinished that provides supporting structure. Mm-hmm. Leaving it to the viewer to yeah. fill in. And yeah. I kind of see. backed into this, um, this whole series here too. And I'm still trying to figure that out, but dealing with the un- an unfinished aspect of the, artwork um, brings an awful lot to the table that I never envisioned. And so that is also affecting my landscapes. Um, it's a, it, it, Yeah, it's affecting all, all my artwork. When you did your demo, was that your theme of it? Um, the, let's see, the demo was kind of the typical way that I approach a landscape it plunk myself down and I was looking towards in this case a gazebo and it's like okay what is it that is grabbing my attention here and what it really was was the way the light was hitting the grass and uh and around the gazebo and the roof of the gazebo so the roof gave it a very geometric triangular pyramidal uh type shape and then you had this green swath on on the grass, it was more uh, abstract with softer edges, and then everything else was very dark. And so that was um, so I was focusing there on the contrast between the the light in the dark and the geometric shape of the roof um, against the abstract uh, shape on the 
on the grass. Mm-hmm. Okay. Be good to say who you were demoing for, I think. I was doing this demo for the Asheville Urban Arts. No, wait a second. Asheville Urban <laughs> Landscape Project. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I screw that name up all the time. But it's uh, <laughs> a, great, a great group of people uh, and a lot of fun to work with. Mm-hmm. Do you go paint with them? Generally not, uh, because they do their thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And number one, I'm not a morning person. And number two, um, I have a consulting business, and I am usually doing my consulting work in the morning and then hitting the studio in the afternoon. I see. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a business thing there that I usually have to get that out of the way before I can go play in the studio. They were just lucky enough to get you for that one morning. I made a <laughs> made a quite the point of being there for that, uh-huh. and I uh, made the point to be there for a couple of others. They've had they have a lot of really good uh, top flight artists doing demos for them. Yeah, so you can go there and uh, learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I went over there and watched uh, Richard Oversmith, for example, and it was like, oh, really? That's how you do that, Richard. Cool. <laughs> well, what yeah. was that like to demo when you say that a lot of yours are wipers? What was that like for you? Uh, yeah, that's a... <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm up there painting away and, and I'm messing everything up. And it's like, okay, I've got you know 40 people looking over my shoulder while I make a mess here on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's what uh, that's what making the artwork is. You know, you, your your first stroke is a mistake, and then everything after that is trying to fix the mistake. Absolutely. So, uh, I think they got that idea from uh, from me because uh, I was trying to correct everything. Uh, it's often difficult for me to talk while I'm painting as well because it uses the same area of the mind or something and so I can paint or I can talk not both at the same time and so I would paint a little bit and stop and talk okay this is what I'm doing this is why I'm doing it Uh, this is what I'm looking at and this is all screwed up so I have to do something about that but that part over there is working that tiny little part that's working all right but then I may have to wipe that out just so I can get the whole thing working again. And, you know, so talk about it back and forth. And I like to hear what people are uh, thinking about what I'm doing, uh, hear their reactions to how I paint, and then hearing their questions, because that often gets me off in some new understanding of what it is I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think it would be really good to be watching a demo and hearing the artist be genuine about what they're doing, mm-hmm. what what they like and what they don't like. Mm-hmm. You can see yeah. a lot of demos that make it look oh so simple and <laughs> boy. <laughs> you see those on YouTube. Uh, you know, they edit out mistakes on there. Yeah. Um, but when I do these uh, figure painting workshops, I'm I'm doing a demo in there too. And, you know, so there's there's the model and here here I am doing this painting and it looks nothing like the model. It's like, oh well what do we do now? <laughs> okay, here we we got to fix this now, you know. So, um, but uh, I find it interesting to look at old masters because now I can see where they make their mistakes, you know. So I'll be looking at this old master going, "Oh, he messed up there. Great. Okay, <laughs> makes him human, you know." So. 
old sergeant. Yeah, he can he can uh, he can make a mistake just like everybody else. Look at that, you know. So that's cool to see sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if I would pick them up, but yeah, I like reading some of their quotes, like. Monet saying, I am deeply depressed and thoroughly disgusted with painting, you know, things like that <laughs> make me feel better sometimes. Yeah. You look, yeah, why? Because what, you, you know, but you're not seeing the ones that he destroyed. Right. And, um, you know, you're only seeing the ones that uh, somebody that he thought enough of to let leave his... Uh, his studio. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you don't see a lot of those around, uh, uh, around here. You know, I, I generally wipe out the disasters. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yep. Well, thanks for sharing about that. And is mm-hmm. there anything else that you would like to say that I didn't give you the opportunity yet to talk about? No. One thing I, um, I guess, uh, people, Ten, I see a lot of students coming in and, and getting uh, really tight in front of their their panel or their canvas or their paper or whatever. And it's like, it's just a painting. You know, a friend of mine, Cindy Walton, has a blog called It's Just a Painting. Uh. And what a great thing. It, it's just a painting. It's just, you know, a charcoal drawing. There's nothing to be concerned about. Um, go for it. Uh-huh. Let it out. And, um, you know, do the best you can if you, and if it, if it doesn't work, okay. So you stretch your boundaries a little bit and throw it away and go again. And the next one will be better or the next one or maybe the one after that. But (laughs) you have to go through that. It's the only way to advance. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I remember saying to a friend one time and, she thought it was really eye-opening because I was, like, using all this paint. And she was looking at me, and I said, well, it's not really going to do me any good in the tube. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of eye-opening for her that yeah. day. Yep. Yep. It's just it's just paint. Yep. Go do it. Use it. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, you you can always throw it away. That's right. <laughs> like Monet. <laughs> yeah. So Skip and I are back for a little bit of a round two because between the time that we did our initial interview and the time I'm about to release Skip's interview, he has taken on a new art venture that we want him to talk about some more. And I'll let you just take it away. Okay. The the venture is called Asheville Event Paintings, and... This is a service to provide live uh, paintings of weddings, mitzvahs, quinceañeras, um, and corporate events and other special events. Um, I didn't even know that people were doing this until last summer, actually. I had somebody call me to say, hey, can you be a live painter, uh, a live wedding painter at my sister's wedding? And I said, sure, I can do that. And then I immediately got on Google and said, what is a live event painter do? (laughs) 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 So I did a lot of research on that. That particular deal didn't work out, but um, uh, I looked into it and I said, well, I thought this really looked interesting because um, it's providing a, uh, a painting that tells a story 
to somebody who is in the story and is therefore really going to appreciate it. Um, it's, uh, you know, my artworks tell stories and uh, I really, uh, it really impacts me when somebody connects very well with uh, what it is that the story is all about. And in this case, you know, the story's pre-made. All I have to do is just put it on canvas. Um, so I tried a, a couple of experimental pictures to see if this was something that I would enjoy doing, and I really did. And uh, the first uh, the first one of those images I gave to the couple who were uh, involved in this. You know, they didn't even know it was that I was using them as a guinea pig. So uh, I paid them back by giving them the painting, and uh, it that turned out real well. I was very happy with it. They were very happy with it, and I thought this can be a lot of fun. So that's what I do. So um, I took a look at what other painters were doing out there, and I took what I considered to be the best of their practices. Uh, as they would apply to the way that I work and uh, put my plan together and then launched it uh, the first of this year, 2017, January 2017. And so it's up and running. Um, I'm uh, trying to get the word out uh, and uh, do some advertising and uh, get it out in the wedding community, which is an entirely new experience for me because I didn't know anything about it. Uh, my wife and I were married by a justice of the peace in Annapolis, so, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't have the experience of uh, putting on uh, a, a huge wedding. So, um, so that is the story in a nutshell. Um, and the way the painting works is that I will show up a couple of hours early ahead of... Uh, the event so that I can scope things out, get set up, um, and start blocking in the painting. And then, uh, when, uh, the, when we're into it, then, uh, I'll be painting and taking notes and people will be able to see the painting as it develops. So, uh, and I'll be there to talk with them and answer questions that they may have. And uh, something like that is uh, generally a lot of fun for me. So I hope it's going to be fun for them, too. Thank you. And also, I know that you had mentioned this to me last year. And somewhere along the way, you got more interested in doing this. And I'm wondering what appeals to you about it. You know, somewhere along the way, you decided to make this a significant service. I did. I did. Um, and it was really when I was painting uh, that test painting and seeing, uh, like I said, I wanted to see if this was something that I would enjoy doing, and I did. And uh, the thing that appeals to me is that this is something that is going to be meaningful to the couple involved, um, and it, it could be something that is handed down uh to their kids, you know, and then and then their kids, and that to me is is really neat. It's going to be meaningful to um, the people involved for uh, conceivably a very long period of time. You know, I have uh, photographs of my parents' wedding, and uh, and this is kind of along the same lines, and only it's fine art. Mm-hmm. And it seems like your background, some of the various things you've done contribute to your being 
in a uniquely good position to be the one to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and a lot of the paintings that I have done in the past have had kind of dark themes. You know, my Meditation on War series of paintings uh, that we discussed uh, previously. Um, these were stories about uh, some really bad things that have happened. But a wedding painting, hey, this is a good time, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a nice change. I, uh, I think I'm going to enjoy that very much. Good for the artist too. Absolutely, okay. <laughs> you, you got to have the balance. You know, you got to have the good and the bad. So, <laughs> so there we go. And you've made a separate website for. I have. It's AshevilleEventPaintings.com. You know, Asheville Event Paintings is all one word. Mm -hmm. So, go Google it. Go look it up. Go type it in and take a look and give me your feedback. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Neat. And what went into your decision to do a separate website for it? It's a specialized uh, service. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that goes uh, along with it. Uh, the process is different from what I normally do. Uh, the questions that people ask are going to be different from what uh, I, I normally do in the studio. And so uh, it, I decided that the best thing is rather than build an extension of my existing website, it was better to have a completely separate website. Mm -hmm. And so far, that seems to be working. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I certainly wish you luck with this new venture and look forward to seeing more of the paintings that you create as you post them. Thank you. I look forward to making them. Yes. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say? I think that ought to do it. Okay. Well, Skip, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a pleasure. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. I, 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 as you probably noticed, I like talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Skip has some upcoming workshops that I want to mention. The workshops are held in his studio at 2004 Riverside Drive, Studio DD, in the Riverside Business Park on the French Broad River in Woodfin, North Carolina, just north of Asheville. These workshops are all in the year 2017, but do keep an eye on Skip's workshops page on his website since he said in the interview that he plans to run them ongoingly. On Saturday, March 4th, 2017, from 12 to 4, Skip will teach a color mixing workshop. On April 1st and 2nd, from 12 to 4, he will teach a traditional figure painting workshop. And then... On Saturday and Sunday, May 6th and 7th, 2017, he will be teaching a la prima figure painting. Please do check out the show notes at localhearted.com slash for links to his sites and examples of his work. And while you are there, if you want to make sure you never miss an episode, please sign up for the Local Hearted mailing list. Thank you so much for listening. This is Meredith Adler for the Local Hearted Podcast. And the podcast's theme music, Learning to Fly, is courtesy of and copyrighted by Jamie Noder-Thomas. <laughs> <laughs>